Thanks for tuning in to Freedom House Podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this church as we change our world one life at a time. We'd love to stay connected with you by following us on social media at Freedom House OC, as well as our YouTube channel. Let's listen in on today's message. I'm really fired up for tonight, these revival nights. I look forward to them. I mean, I don't know about you, but my spirit needs revival. Come on now. I'm like revival in Jesus' name. But you know, it's the year of Rebuild, Revive, Restore. And um, you know, I know I'm so blessed. My man right here, you're always just worshiping with your mom and you know, and you're just, you're there saying, I'm just gonna worship. Come here, I wanna give you this hat. Plus I like your name, Josiah, it's a pretty cool name. Look at that. Let's go, man, let's go. Rebuild, Revive, you look good on that. He's like a model for us, so good. Hey, tonight, is no guest with us. We have family with us. Pastor Obed Martinez, I met nearly 12 years ago. And it was a divine, just God moment when, when I first met Pastor Obed. And our church was meeting in a, in a small warehouse. And I was searching, just looking to study the church. And, and I went on a seven-day fast saying, God, introduce me to somebody that would just be a covenant brother. Just somebody that can I can, you know, just chop it up with kingdom. And the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Pastor Obed has been that iron in my life. Much of what Freedom House is is because of the systems and just the world that he has opened up for me, a lot of people that I know. And and Pastor Obed is an amazing man of God. He's the lead pastor of Destiny Church, has a beautiful family. And and uh, he's just, he's doing, he's an entrepreneur. He a writer. He's a creative. I mean, he's, he's just an amazing. So would you stand to your feet and give Pastor Obed... Martinez, a Freedom House welcome as he's going to preach the word. Hello, there you go. Wow, smile at me real quick because it's just good to see some faces. Amen, right? You could be seated. So glad, so honored to, to be here. And, you know, before we get started, I want to really do what I always do, and I really believe it. It's when I was 16 years old and I rededicated my life back to Jesus, the Lord spoke to me. He says, if you live by these three principles, I'll take your places. No eyes have seen, no ear has heard. He says, if you live a life of holiness, a life of honor, and a life of humility, you will go places. And it was, those are the three mission statements of my life. And I want to take this time to honor your pastors. I really believe that leadership is measured in crisis. You, you know what you have when leaders can respond and pivot in the midst of a crisis. And, and there's no doubt about it that Freedom House last year didn't survive it thrived and it did so and it did so not because this house is special even though it is but it did so because your leaders shined at the moment in which crisis takes place and and I want to take this time to honor them because I really believe that the more you appreciate the gifts more importantly, love the people. And the best thing you can do for your pastors is love their children. Protect them. Understand that that's their heart. And yet what's their heart is what you guard. Because you are, in some sense, their spiritual children. They guard you. The decisions, the weight, the burden they carried making sure that this church was feeding communities, making sure you were handing food to the poor and the needy, and making sure that every single car that lined up, thinking they're just going to get a box of food, got a breakthrough in their life. And that all, in some sense, really shows the heart of your leaders and the heart of your pastors. And I really believe the reason why they're rewarded with the blessings that's on their life is because they understand the principle 
of leadership. And so can we honor Pastor Marie and Pastor Josiah? We love you guys. Thank you for everything. It's such an honor to be here. I want to speak to you tonight that I really believe that something that um, has really been in my heart and uh, been in your pastor's heart, there's no doubt about it that everybody is rebuilding. Everybody wants revival. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And, but I want to talk to you specifically. Is that I don't want to sp- not just speak to your hearts or possibly speak to your minds or speak to your souls. More importantly, tonight I want to speak to your gates. Because there's a lot of gates in this place that have been burnt down last year. The Bible says this in, in Romans chapter 7. It's Paul. A man who contributed to three quarters of New Testament theology writes this. He says, I'm a mystery to myself. For I want to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the spirit of revelation and give our minds illumination that we would experience transformation. God, I pray you give us a mind to perceive and a heart to receive all that you have. And I ask that after this message, we will never be the same in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. You know, it's interesting that Paul, you would think, being as spiritual as he was, wouldn't have the struggles that most of us deal with or have some gates he'd have to deal with. The truth of the matter is he finds himself in a situation where he is wrestling with something in his life. You and I are built up with some components. We're spirit, we're soul, we still have flesh. And in one translation, Paul says, why do I do the things I hate to do and yet I find myself doing those? And I really believe what really took place during this pandemic was it exposed the areas in your life that in some sense you were easily hiding them through your spiritual epiphanies. I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do all these things. But yet there were still some, some burnt down gates in your life. That in, that in some sense, you would leave church on a Sunday on a high after you've experienced God at an altar. And then you'd find yourself on Tuesday doing something that you would not want to do. Yet you find yourself doing those. And then you thought, well, if I just pray more, if I get in the Bible more, if I see God more, then, then those things are all going to go away. What you found was that you were building your faith. What you found was that you were building up your inner man, but you were still neglecting the very element in which God has been trying to get your attention from the day it just started. You see, as much as you're interested in building a house, building a family, building a future, God is actually more interested in dealing with your gates. You know, you've been in this series on Nehemiah. The Bible talks about it in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. It says, the king said to me, and this this is Nehemiah going to the king. And and the king responded, what do you request? He says, I prayed to God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your presence, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb so that I may rebuild it. You know, it's interesting because this past year, there's been a lot of gates that have been broken and burned down. There's a lot of ruined places because when you look outside, there's a bunch of ruined lives. And oftentimes the gates reflect the people. And so when Nehemiah was cozying it up 
in the palace of a king had everything. In some degree, it, we can metaphorically speak like you and I coming to church and kind of cozying up with the king on a Wednesday night having revival night. And we're going to worship God and we're going to praise him and we're going to do all these amazing things and yet not be burdened by the very thing that burdens the heart of God. The broken people who are living in broken cities and dealing with generational broken gates. And yet when you think about Nehemiah and after you read it and study it, you almost get this, this feeling that you can't amount up to him. Man, he, he did something that was impossible. He gathered people, got them on a mission to build something so quick. And yet we forget. Nehemiah was just a layman. He wasn't like Ezra who was a, a priest or Malachi like a prophet. Man, if one of them would have done that, you would sit there and say, well, Pastor Josiah, you can build it. I'm not qualified. But the fact that God used a layman, he used someone who's sitting in one of those black chairs right now. That in some sense, it's just an ordinary person and all God did was put his extra on their ordinary and they allowed themselves to do the extraordinary, the things that God wanted them to do. And yet when we look at Nehemiah, he had some distinguished qualities. The first was excellence. It's amazing that most people think when I get there, I'm going to live a life of excellence. When I get that... I'm going to live a life of excellence. But excellence isn't in a where. And it's not in a there. It's not even in a that. Excellence begins with a choice. You decide every day. Do I want to live with excellence? Or do I want to live a life that's average, common, mediocre? Is that, is that really the life I want to live? Am I, am, I, am I satisfied every day living this spiritual journey with a bunch of burnt gates in my life? Excellence is a choice. And once you decide that, man, today I'm going to live this life of excellence, which is a choice, then I'm going to go into dedication, which is an action. And once I get this dedication, that's an action because it came with this choice of excellence, I will move into discipline, which is a mindset. And once I have the mindset of discipline because of the dedication of my action, which started with the choice of living excellent, then all of a sudden I will become the, the leader that God has called me to be, which is a lifestyle. In some sense, you'll never get the lifestyle of a leadership until, until you really realize that you become literally the discipline with, that comes with the mindset. And then once you get the discipline of a mindset, because you're now this leadership and you're this leader that's living with this lifestyle, it comes with the dedication that you're acting. But it all started with just the choice of living with excellence. Think about your life in 2021 can be so influenced and you can influence so many people by the life you're living that by Pastor Obed, I'm gonna be a leader, man. I'm telling you, I'm gonna live the lifestyle of leadership. And listen, as much as you think it's, it's hard to get there or difficult to get there, really in some sense, the lifestyle of a leadership just starts with the discipline of a mindset that begins with the dedication of an action, but it all starts with the choice. By just saying, I'm no longer going to live mediocre. I'm going to deal with the burnt walls in my life. And I'm going to be dedicated to excellence. This was, this was Nehemiah. He could have hung out with the king. But change isn't going to happen by what bothers you. Change is going to happen. By what burdens you. And there's no doubt about it. There were a lot of things last year that bothered me. 
But God isn't going to move on the behalf of what bothers me. God is going to meet me at the place of what burdens me. Nehemiah, before he got a vision to rebuild, he first took on a burden for the people. The change that God wants to do through this place isn't going to happen because of a spiritual epiphany. It's going to happen when you become uncomfortable in your convenience by getting a burden for other people's gates that have been burnt down last year. This is really, in some sense, the life of Nehemiah. In other words, we cannot solve problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. You almost have to look at your life in three ways. The first is theologically. Meaning, I'm a fallen human rescued by God to rescue other fallen humans. If I can just start there, then I'm no one different. I fall every day. You fall every day. You say, but Pastor Obed, falling is for sinners. No, falling is for, for everybody. The Bible says even the righteous fall seven times. But they will get themselves back up. You, you want to know? You want to know the difference of the two? is that a righteous person will fall and they will get themselves back up. But a sinner will fall and they need someone else to get themselves back up. That's the difference. And so you have to begin at this place that, man, I'm, I, I'm living this life really in some sense theologically because at the end of the day, all I am and all I'll ever be is a fallen human rescued by God to rescue others. And then when I understand my life theologically, then it will move me into the place where my life can be lived out providentially. Some degree, what that means is it means that our sovereign God has fixed out and marked out and designated the where's in your life. That in some sense, God chose you before the foundations of this world to live in the moment in which we're living in today. He didn't assign it to Paul and he didn't sign it to Peter. He didn't even sign it to David. He assigned it to you. And this is the time in which you got to realize that you were made for this moment. As much as you want to run away from it and as much as everybody wanted 2020 to end, people that are Nehemiahs understand that I've been raised and I've been meant for this moment and I'm going to thrive at my best in such a time as this. We got to stop talking ourselves out of something God's talking us into. Our language has to change because we're not part of the world. And the world is saying, man, the world is bad and the world is dark and the world is ugly. This pandemic is crazy. And the church to take on the language that I know my life theologically, I'm a fallen human rescued by God to rescue others. But I understand providentially that I'm living in this moment right now. I could have lived in any other time God could have chose, but he chose me to live today. And if God chose me to live today, I'm going to thrive because I'm equipped to do what God has called me to do. Come on, can I teach you today? And so when I understand my life theologically, then I will accept my wares providentially. And once I can accept my wares providentially, because I understand my life theologically, then this is when I can actually begin to live my life purposefully. Most people cannot live a life purposefully, which means the purpose of your existence 
is to go into the wares in which you've been assigned to and impact people spiritually and socially. But I will never know and understand my life purposefully if I do not accept where I'm at providentially. It all begins with the foundation of understanding my life theologically. I'm just a man that falls just like you. The only difference is I choose every day to get myself back up. Because I understand that theologically. I can accept my whereabouts providentially. I'm not where I'm at today because God's punishing me. I'm not where I'm at today because God is mad at me or possibly forgot about me. No, I'm at where I'm at today because ultimately God wants to use me. And I understand that. That as much as I want to complain about what's happening, what good is it? When I understand it's my moment to live. That my life, your life, is going to be defined by this moment in which we live today. That there are other fallen humans outside these walls that are dependent on you to get yourself back up so that they have somebody to get themselves back up in Jesus' name. But if you're wrestling every single day with your life theologically that I'm not good enough and I don't have what it takes and I'm not spiritual enough and I just need more of God, then the devil has you exactly where he wants you because he wants you to struggle theologically because he does not want you to get to the place that you accept your life providentially because once he knows you accept your life providentially, you're going to take Furlington all back. You're going to take Brea back. You're going to take Anaheim back. You're going to take Fullerton back because you know that this is the exact place God has you at right boy I want to teach you tonight I really came to teach the thing is the thing is is that we didn't realize when our world shut down, how much we were like the world. The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the rescued. During this pandemic, we, we really saw that there was not a a big difference between who we are and who they are. Because if we, if we did, we would have quickly understood the season that God is at its best when the world is at its worst. When you look at, when you look at pandemics all throughout the Bible, when you think about the pandemic of a flood, do you actually think that God just wanted to wipe everything away? Or was it the fact that God was trying to change the heart and the habits of the people? What about the plagues? The plagues 
they never touched the children of Israel. Matter of fact, there was a line that was drawn that the Egyptians lived on this side and the Israelites lived on that side. And the Israelites were getting bombarded with all these plagues and they decided one day, if we can just go on the other side of where the Israelites are, then the plague wouldn't touch us because it's not touching them. And the Bible says they landed up picking up their tents and bringing it to the side in which the Israelites were on. And to their surprise, the plague found them because the plague was assigned to them. This plague was never assigned to you. But it was brought before you because like any other pandemic, God is consistent in which he just wants to change your heart and your habits. Think about the pandemic of the children of Israel being in the wilderness. It was supposed to take them 11 days. Just like in March when we shut down and we were told it's only going to last two weeks. And we are now 11 months. Why is it that something that could have lasted for two weeks is still going on for 11 months? Could it be that God's trying to get the attention of the church and he's trying to let us know that this plague has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with changing your hearts and changing your habits. And if I have to prolong it, I'm not prolonging it because of them, but I'm prolonging it because of you, because I need you to get past what everybody else is going through. Because remember, you're rescued to be a rescuer. You can get your own self back up. But there are so many millions of people that are outside these walls that are waiting for you to go to them and pick themselves back up. But they can't because you're still struggling. So 11 days, it, it, it took them 40 years. And, and, and those 40 years, all God was doing was trying to change their heart change their habits. We are never going to have external change until we first have new internal habits. You can, you can praise God all you want. You can get hands laid on and fall out and Stay on the floor for an hour. It is going to touch you externally. But internally, you have to create new habits. The sad part about this year would be the fact that so many will just have an extended 2020. Because they got so excited about a brand new year and they're taking an old self into it. Therefore, I still have the same habits. Even though I'm experiencing a spiritual epiphany. And this was Paul. Why do I do the things I hate to do? Yet I find myself doing them. Really quick, I, I want to give you three R's 
when it comes to creating new habits. The first is a reminder. The second is a routine. And then the third is a reward. A reminder, a routine, and then a reward. I'll give it to you in layman term. I'm, sta- I'm, stand- I'm sitting at an intersection and the light is red. I'm playing my worship music on and all of a sudden it turns green. Reminder, a trigger. All of a sudden it lets me know that I can pass the intersection now. I can go. That brings me into a routine. But I would have never got to that routine without the trigger or the reminder. That eventually will bring me a reward because I ended up at my destination. So you're praising Jesus and believing God to revive you and restore you. And then all of a sudden, you're on your computer and something comes up. Reminder. It's a trigger. Next thing you know, you start to play around with it and it brings you into a routine. And then all of a sudden, it brings satisfaction to your life that brings you a temporary reward. You didn't experience the temporary reward without the routine. But it all started with a reminder. It's the way you break a habit too. When the reminder comes, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become brand new in Jesus' name. I catch it before it catches me. Paul was spiritual, but what was making him do the things he didn't want to do, yet he found himself doing them? Because could it be that Paul understood the routine, the reward, but never taught himself the reminder? What about this habit? My alarm clock goes off in the morning. It's the reminder for me to start my devotions. All of a sudden, that reminder brings me into a routine that now I light a candle in my house, put worship music on, read the book of Nehemiah, and I'm going into a routine. And then it's Wednesday night and I get to go to church and I'm not coming to church empty like I used to with a bunch of baggage in my life. I'm actually coming full and therefore I receive a reward. The next morning, the alarm clock goes off and it's raining and it feels so good to be in bed. But that trigger happens, that reminder And so I throw myself out of bed and I light the candle and make my cup of coffee and read the book of Nehemiah and I go into the routine only to find myself at work and one of my coworkers comes to me and tells me that they're going through a divorce. And all of a sudden I get to do something I thought I'd never do. I actually said, can I pray with you? I was so used to being prayed for for so long because I had the wrong reminders and the wrong routines that brought me the wrong rewards. But all I did was change my habits. I believe that as much as we think God wants to change our hearts, that we're really not going to see revival until we change our habits. And so really quick, I want to give you three points that I really believe is going to help you. Then I'm going to pray for some people. That if we are truly going to live a life like Nehemiah, the first thing we have to do is we have to reboot personally. 
I know you want to rebuild and you want to revive, but none of that happens until you reboot. You got to reboot personally. You know the only time you reboot your computer? It's when it's stuck. And the reason why it's stuck is because it's experiencing too many complexities that it doesn't know where to land. And the reality is, is that everything around us is filled with complexities. When life was so filled with simplicity, it just seemed like 2020 was just complex. So I had to reboot personally. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter one, it says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. He's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins. We Israelites, including myself and my father's family, Nehemiah wasn't part of the problem. He was in the palace of the king. But the reality is, is that Nehemiah focused on the who before the where. You know, in 2021, you were like, man, it's a new year. This is where I want my life to be. This is where I want my relationships to be. So you got your goals out. You started writing. Man, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to go. This is, this is, these, are, these are all the where's in my life. And the very thing you bypassed was the who. Man, Nehemiah was in the palace. What got his attention was the where. The gates of Jerusalem had been burnt. But from where he was to what burdened and got his attention called the where, the journey began with God dealing with the who. He repented. He changed. You see, God is not going to get you to your where until who you are fits where you're going. Because the truth is, is that really what God wants to do with the church for the church, God already has the where in mind because he reminds us all throughout scripture, he's an outcome-driven God. He has the end before the beginning. He, un- he understands the destination before the journey. Must I remind you that Canaan was already flowing with milk and honey before the children of Israel left Egypt. The where of your life is already established. There's nothing you can do to make it happen. You just got to show up. But you can't show up with the old habits that you had, where you left from. You got to show up with some brand new things in your life so who you are fits where you're going. It begins with you rebooting personally. And the second is you, if we can reboot personally, then number two, we can regather passionately. Isn't that what Nehemiah did? The Bible talks about it. The Bible says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you amongst the nations. God in March, pastor said, I'm gonna close the church. Not Governor Newsom. God, I'm going to close my church. I'm going to scatter the people because they've been unfaithful. Church was more about me. What can God do for me? 
but I'm coming to church to get my breakthrough. And really your breakthroughs were just really your continuous bad habits that just kept on coming back. We got to reboot. Personally, we have to regather passionately. And then lastly, we need to rebuild purposefully. Reboot personally. Regather passionately. And then rebuild purposefully. You know what Nehemiah did? He says the gates are, are broken. They're burnt down. Mr. Sheepgate, can you guys rebuild yours? Mr. Fishgate, could you guys rebuild yours? Mr. Mr. Old City Gate, can you rebuild yours? Mr. Fountain Gate, can you re- can you rebuild yours? And the Bible says. And they all began to build their own. No, 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 hear me. (laughs) This is where I really wanted to park. And they all began to build their own. And they all began to build. as much as I want to rebuild yours as much as I would really love for you to come forward and me lay hands on you and help you the reality is that it's not until you take personal responsibility for your own I can help but you gotta take responsibility I can sit there with, with, with all that I do and pray and fast and lay hands. Yes, it may make you feel good and I truly believe that God can do something. But you'll end up back here. Because you didn't own your gate. Pastor Obed, They burnt my gate. He, he overpromised and underdelivered. And that's why my gate is broken. Man, I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. That's computer, it's the computer's fault. It's ruining my life. No, 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 I'm not angry because I'm an angry person. I'm angry because they hurt me. I get it. And I, I empathize with you. part of the equation then there has to be some sort of ownership that you have to take because at the end of the day listen to me them hurting you the first time is their fault but them hurting you again is your fault. Because the truth is, is that you have to take ownership. My gate is burnt. They're nowhere to be found. They're gone. I'm stuck looking every day at my gates. And I'm so 
angry at my boss and I'm so angry at the governor. I'm so angry at the world. But what about you building and rebuilding your own gate? Hey, maybe they're responsible for burning our gates, but you better believe I'm not going to sit around and waste another day blaming everybody else. I'm going to take the energy that I got, the anointing that I got, the favor that I got, and I'm going to rebuild. If I got to take personal responsibility, I'm going to do that. I'm in debt, not because of the credit card. I'm in debt because I'm an overspender. I got to take some personal responsibility. Part of this as well. Come on, stand in your feet. I'm not in the wrong place. No, I'm in the wrong place. Because at the end of the day, part of it is my responsibility. I'm not in debt. No, I just overspend. Part of that is my responsibility. I'm not going through financial crisis because of the times I'm still making the same money. I'm going through financial crisis right now because I got to take some ownership. See, if we change our habits, there would be less of a need of miracles in the church. Because the truth is, is that miracles were never meant for, for believers. They're actually meant for unbelievers. Where does rebuilding begin? Where does revival begin? Where does restoring begin? It begins with you. Owning where you're at and being dissatisfied of it. Knowing there's more. The Spirit of God's in this place. I can see your faces. I can see those tears rolling down your eyes. God is digging down internally. And as much as you're trying to get him to deal with there, he's wanting to turn it because he wants to deal with you in here. God, will you just change there? And he says, no, I'm not going to change there until I first change here. That's what I want. I felt something because this message is for everybody, isn't it? I felt one thing God wanted us to do tonight was that revival doesn't begin with an outpouring. Revival begins with repentance. Amen. Some of us, our own afflictions are self afflictions. I'm asking to do something tonight that I really believe will honor God. And I'll begin. Over the next few weeks, the Spirit of God's going to be unleashed in this place. But God's not going to bless a mess. He wants order to begin. And in doing that, begins with repentance. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask for all of us to get on our knees just before the Lord. 
church can repent, then we will not return back to our old ways again, our old thinking again. And the truth is, is that God wants to do a work in you. The there is already prepared. It already exists. But you have to fit. I want you to say these words, dear Jesus, we repent. I repent. I see the gates that are broken in my life, in our city, and in our community, like Nehemiah. Before I'm sent to fix it out there, I'm asking you to fix it in me. I humble myself. I repent. And I take ownership of where I'm at right now. Help me to be responsible. And use me like never before. Change my heart. Change my habits. Change my life. And then we'll change the world. In Jesus' name. Come on and all God's people say, amen, amen. Come on, can you give the Lord a clap off real quick? I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to have the worship team sing real quick, but as I was praying, I want to, I just want to pray for these people. And really, I want to pray for, there's some people here right now that, and, I, and I'm not saying it's everybody, because I want to be, I want to be precise. But there is, there, there's people in here that, you are struggling bad. And I'm going to ask you, listen, I'll put my mask on. The worship team is going to sing. And, and as they do, I'm going to wait up here. And I just want to pray for you. Thanks for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by this message. Show us your support by sharing your favorite podcast on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Freedom House OC Today. See you next week.